Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, Brentley Williams tells her story as it relates to our Peace and Pain series. As she shares her story, Brentley focuses on identity, talking about her experience with anxiety, depression, and perfectionism over the years. We look at Mark 10, verses 17 through 22, and the story of the rich young ruler whose focus was on performance and money, not fully surrendering these things to God. Brentley asks us to think about what we are holding back from Jesus and challenges us to fully surrender to him and find our worth and identity only in Jesus. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, hey guys. <laughs> How are y'all doing tonight? Good. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thanks guys. <laughs> well, like Dallas said earlier, I'm going to kind of be finishing up our peace and pain series by telling my story. Um, and I'm going to be focusing a lot on my time in college. Um, those are some pretty hard and significant years in my life. But just because you guys aren't at that point in your life yet, don't tune out because I know everyone in this room can relate to my story in some way. So even, this, even though this isn't part of the My Story series, um, I will be sharing my story. And if I could narrow my story down to one word, it would be identity. And I know that that's something that all of us are going to struggle with at some point in our lives and maybe even throughout our lives. So let me start by asking you guys a question. Have you ever thought something but would never admit that you thought that way? Yeah? See some heads nodding? Like, you know it's not true, but you find yourself living that way? Well, let me ask it in some other words. Have you ever believed something but caught yourself acting in the complete opposite way? I'll give you guys an example. So say someone came up to you and asked, do you watch too much TV? You might be like, no. But then you realize that you spend hours staring at a screen to the point that Netflix asks, are you still watching? Yeah? <laughs> maybe, maybe here's a more serious example. If someone came up to you and asked if you worry a lot, I think a lot of us would be like, oh, no, I don't, I don't worry. But you guys find yourself thinking, am I going to find a friend at school? What am I going to do after high school? What if I don't make the team? Where am I going to go to college? What if I don't find a relationship? What if this relationship doesn't work out? Can you guys relate to any of these? Yeah? Well, I had a question like that for me. And that question, if you guys had asked me before college, could you earn more love by your performance? Would God love you more if you did better in school and at work and in life? If you guys asked me that question straight up, I'd be like, no way. I know that's not true. But if you guys were able to look in my life and see my thoughts and see how I lived, you'd realize that while I couldn't earn more love from God, and I knew that, I th also thought that if I didn't perform perfectly, I wasn't worthy of his love. In other words, I knew in my head that I couldn't earn more love from God, but I also thought that if I wasn't perfect, that I wasn't worthy of it either. Which is true, we aren't worthy of the love of God. Jesus gives us our worth and, and God in his own nature desires to love us. It has nothing to do with what we do or our own perfect, perfection. We are worthy because Jesus has made us worthy. What was inaccurate was my mindset and the fact that I thought I needed to be perfect in order to earn the love of God. So I'll say it again. I knew that I couldn't earn the love of God, but I also thought that if I didn't perform perfectly, I wasn't worthy of his love either. So I'm going to walk you guys through my story. For as long as I can remember, I placed my worth and my identity in my performance. I believed 
that my identity was tied to how well I did in school and at work and at almost anything else in life that I felt that I had some control over. I felt the need to be perfect in everything. In sports, I would beat myself up if I messed up even in the smallest way. At home, at jobs, and especially in school. That was the big one for me. I would definitely describe myself as a perfectionist. If I got a 98 on a test, for example, it wasn't enough. I would beat myself up over those two points, and that's what I would dwell on. Now, there is in some way a healthy view of like trying your best, right? But I was taking this to an unhealthy extreme. I was taking it way too far. This perfectionism also affected how I saw and received love and grace. And the reality is I didn't let myself receive love and grace if I wasn't perfect. I was upset at myself if I wasn't perfect. I thought maybe my family wouldn't be as happy with me if I wasn't perfect. I thought my teachers and coaches and bosses might love me more if I was perfect. And I thought that God wouldn't give me, or I couldn't accept God's love if I wasn't perfect. And guess what? If y'all haven't figured this out yet, <laughs> I'm not perfect. And neither are you guys. None of us are. So I was basing my identity on what I thought of myself, what I thought other people thought of me, and on something that I was never going to be able to reach. So this resulted in a lot of my anxiety coming to the surface. In addition to all the anxiety, the byproduct of all of my perfectionism and my view on my identity was a very low self-image of love and grace, an unhealthy social life, and a high sense of self-criticism. When my freshman year of college pushed me out of my comfort zone and made it even harder for me to be perfect, my resulting thought process was, okay, well, now I'm going to try even harder. I'm going to try even harder to earn the love and feel loved. I thought that the only way I could feel worthy of love and find my identity was by making 100 on all my grades. All right, not just A's and B's, not just A's. I had to do 100. I had to do it all. I had to be perfect. So if there was optional reading, did it. Anything extra credit, did it. Spend hours in my professor's offices, yeah, did that too. I did everything, and my life became consumed by doing everything I thought I needed to do to be perfect in school. So I ended up staying up later and getting up earlier. I spent less time with people and less time taking care of myself. I, I remember studying for one of my finals for 30 hours. I like remember counting up the hours, yeah. And that wasn't like an irregular occurrence for me, guys. That was a regular thing for me. I even remember making myself feel guilty if I spent more than about 20 minutes eating, okay? Now, I get that sometimes if you have a big project coming up, you might not get to sleep in as much as you want, and you might not to get hang out with your friends as much, but this was becoming my every day. This was every single day for me. I wouldn't let myself rest until I reached perfection, and that was never going to happen. Freshman year, I quickly found myself in the darkest place I've ever been. The other day, I was actually reading some of my journals from my freshman year, and one of them from less than a month into school said, I've cried 10 times this weekend. I'm so overwhelmed and scared. I kept looking at college and thinking there was no way I could do this for four years. I struggled with so much anxiety every day. My thoughts were consumed with the fear of making less than perfect. I could hardly mentally process that. And in my mind, if I made less than 100 on something, I, I was going to fail the class or lose my scholarships or not be able to graduate. Like, the world was going to end, guys. And the big thing was, I didn't feel that I was worthy of God's love. And if I'm being real with you guys, I also struggled a lot with depression. 
I felt so hopeless in that time. I felt like a failure for not being perfect, and I also felt like a failure because of all of my anxiety and depression. I felt guilty for not spending time with people when I was studying, and I felt guilty for studying, or for not spending time with people when I was studying, and I felt guilty for not studying when I was spending time with people. My head was surrounded by so much fear all the time. I was so anxious that I made myself sick. Guys, I'm going to be super honest with you right now, too. While I didn't have suicidal thoughts or a desire to harm myself, I also really didn't care to be alive at that point. I was so tired of anxiety and depression and so sick of where I was that I really didn't care to be alive. And that's a pretty scary place to be. So how did I get there? How did I get to that point? This all started because I was finding my identity in perfectionism and I allowed my fears and anxiety to be the driving force behind my decisions. So how did I respond? Well, I wish I could tell you guys differently, but my first response was to retreat from everything. I isolated myself. I spent very little time with other people. I shut my siblings out. I pulled away from friends. It was my freshman year of college, and instead of going out to events and hanging out with friends and making new friends, I was in my room, overstudying, making myself feel guilty and in tears. The only people I would be real with were my parents, and at least I talked to them, but that's not community, and they weren't professional help for me in that time. I also became very distracted and unproductive. I said no to most social things so that I could spend more time studying because I made myself feel guilty if I wasn't. But if I was studying, I felt so guilty that I wasn't spending time with people or even taking care of myself. So most of the time I set aside to study, I ended up crying and my fears and anxiety dominated my thoughts. I was living in fear. I was living without joy. I wasn't in community and I wasn't taking care of myself. I really did try to fight it, but I was doing that on my own strength. And some days were better than others, but this, this darkness lasted the entire first half of my freshman year. Eventually, I went home for Christmas break, and when I got home, I decided to journal and just kind of reflect on the last semester. And I also decided to try to write down every time I remember God being faithful over that semester, which seems kind of weird. You might think, okay, if you thought it was such a dark time and terrible, like, why would you write about God's faithfulness? But let me, get, let me just tell you guys, I wrote over eight pages, just one thing after another, of evidence of just God's faithfulness and working in my life over that semester. And I just started sobbing right there. But this time it wasn't tears of hopelessness and fear and guilt. They were tears of realizing God's faithfulness in my life. I suddenly realized he was faithful through it all and that he loved me and offered grace upon grace. God fully knows me. He knows all my mistakes, all my imperfections, and all the ways that I fall short, but he also fully loves me. I was suddenly overwhelmed, not by fear and guilt and hopelessness, but by God's faithfulness and love and grace. In that moment, I realized how much I was letting fear and anxiety dominate my thoughts instead of Jesus and his truth. I realized just that the only way I could fight the fear and anxiety and the feelings of hopelessness and guilt was by relying on God and speaking his truth against the lies in my head and in my heart. I also realized that I need to have people. I need to be in community. I can't isolate myself. I have to reach out to other people. I have to ask for help. 
Eventually, as a lot of you guys know, I became the high school girl intern here at church about three years ago. And I got to know Matt, and he got to know me and my story, and he eventually challenged me every week to complete this sentence. My worth is found in blank. Now, if you're thinking like I was at the time, and especially if you've been in church for a while, you may be thinking, okay, well, I know that the answer is supposed to be Jesus, so I'm just going to say Jesus. <clears throat> but the whole point of this was for me to fill that blank in with how I was actually living that week. And even a year later, I still found myself filling the blank with performance in school and at work and in life. I was reading over my journal again this past week, and at that time, I wrote how I was finding my worth in Jesus and stuff. It was always Jesus and something, Jesus and success in school, Jesus and perfectionism, Jesus and how well I met the expectations that I thought were placed on me by others and by myself. That was when I realized how much of my identity I was placing in my performance and perfectionism. I wasn't finding my identity in Jesus because it was always Jesus and, and not Jesus alone. Control, success, grades, meeting expectations, how close I was to perfection. These are all things that I was writing, and it was all about earning my worth, earning my identity, and earning God's love. I felt worthless all the time, especially when I made mistakes. I, I wrote in my journal, and guys, this is brutally honest. <laughs> um, I wrote, this is word for word, I am afraid that if I find my worth in Jesus instead of performance and perfection, that my life and circumstances won't be perfect by my standards. I am afraid I will lose my identity because I am known by others by my perfectionism and performance. I wrote that. That's what I was thinking. That's what I was feeling. But I did cont continue that journal by saying, that's so messed up. Perfectionism or perfection is Jesus and my circumstances never will be. No failure will cause him to stop loving me. My identity is in him. Guys, I know that my identity is in Jesus, and then my worth is found in him alone. And even though that's hard to live out, I have to continually remind myself of that truth. In talking with Matt, I also came to realize that how little I understood grace. I kept trying to earn everything, earn God's love, but in the very definition of grace, we find love that we don't deserve. God offers this love and his grace upon grace, but I wouldn't allow myself to receive it, and I definitely wouldn't give myself grace either. The thing is, no matter how hard I try, I'm not perfect. And as much as I hate it and hate to admit it, I make mistakes all the time. But that doesn't make me a failure. Failing doesn't make me or you a failure. So when I stop to think about it, it's actually amazing that my worth is found in Jesus and that my identity is in him and that it's not about who I am or what I can do because I know I'm not perfect. I'm so thankful for that truth because Jesus was perfect so that I don't have to be, and he was perfect because I never will be. And when I'm not perfect, God isn't there pointing at my guilt and my mistakes and my imperfections. He's pointing at his grace. It's not about who I am or what I can do, but about who Jesus is and what he's already done. Now, you guys may be in your seats thinking I'm about to tell you, guys, God completely took away all my anxiety. I no longer struggle with fear or perfectionism or finding my worth or identity in performance. I no longer struggle with not giving myself grace or not receiving grace, but that's not what I'm about to say. Guys, I struggle with this still today. I struggle with this every day. It's been more than four years since that freshman year, and I still struggle with this. 
Just as I know many of you guys struggle with worry, anxiety, depression, loneliness, finding your worth and identity in what other people think, maybe finding your worth and identity in your performance, and maybe even perfectionism, like me. The thing is, God doesn't promise to take away my anxiety while I'm here. He might, but he doesn't have to. And hear me, guys, if he doesn't take away my anxiety, it doesn't mean he loves me any less. But I do have hope because I know that he promises that one day in eternity there will be no more fear and no more pain and no more anxiety. But I also know that while I am here, he is with me. And I know his peace is with me as well. Also because I have the Holy Spirit in me. I know I will probably struggle with anxiety for a while. Maybe a long while. <laughs> Maybe for the rest of my life. But it's not just about self-awareness and knowing that I struggle with anxiety. It's also about self-management and knowing how to live with it, how to fight it, how to manage it. See, in college, I knew I had anxiety, but I didn't know what to do with it. And now I'm starting to learn what I need to do to actually fight it. I need to go to God daily. I have to find my hope and my strength and my joy in him. I need to derive my identity from him. I have to embrace my imperfection knowing that Jesus was perfect in my place. I have to receive God's grace and love in every moment and also extend that grace to myself when I make mistakes. When I begin to feel the same way I did freshman year, when I got into such a dark place, I have to immediately stop and shift my perspective. I have to praise God and thank him. I have to speak truth over myself and I have to speak truth directly against the enemy and directly against my anxiety. I've learned that when I'm having some of my hardest days, I have to be in constant prayer and thankfulness. I make lists of God's faithfulness just like I did over Christmas break freshman year. I speak truth against my anxiety, something as simple as, my worth is found in Jesus, I am fully known and fully loved. Sometimes when it's a really bad day, I even write myself a letter filled with all the truth about who God is and his promises and what he says of me, and I'll just leave it on my desk and read it over and over and over again as much as I need to. We have to fight anxiety, and we have to fight the lies that tell us our identity is in anything but Jesus. But we can't do that on our own. We have to go to God. We have to speak his truth. We have to speak his word. We have to find our strength and hope and joy in him. So I'm saying this to you now, and I'm saying it just as much to myself. My identity is in Jesus, and my worth is found in him. So that's my story, you guys. That's the story I'm still working through and living today. Now, for the rest of our time, I want to look at a passage with you guys. We're going to be in Mark 10, 17 through 22. This is probably a familiar passage to a lot of you guys, but I want to look at it in a little bit of a different way and then also tie part of my story into it. So I'll let you guys go ahead and flip there. And we'll read this together. All right, Mark 10, 17 through 22. And as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. 
Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So I kind of want to break this passage down with you guys. Let's start with the young man's question. He asks, what must I do, right? So from the start, we see that his focus is on performance. And his philosophy is basically, if I perform well, I will inherit eternal life. Here we see that he relies on his self-righteousness instead of just trusting in Jesus for eternal life. He has, to, he has a works-based idea of salvation, and he's trying to earn it. Jesus responds, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. What he's saying is that the young man can't address Jesus as good until he's ready to acknowledge that Jesus is God. So Jesus is basically asking, are you calling me God? But he doesn't give him time to answer quite yet. He continues his response by giving him, by working with his list mentality. We can see that the rich young man is a box checker. What must I do, right? So Jesus replies with a list, some boxes to check. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Jesus initially uses the rich young man's works-based framework and throws him a few easy boxes to check. Yes, Jesus, I've kept all these since I was a kid, right? That's his response. Don't murder, no problem. Don't commit adultery, got it. Don't steal, never needed to. Don't lie and honor your father and mother. Check, check. Jesus first gives him some easy boxes to check, but he's about to show him just how short of perfect he actually falls. So what is this list from, guys, this list that Jesus gives him? Yeah, Ten Commandments, good. Great job, guys. Proud of you. Jesus is using a familiar list and a familiar context to get to the heart of the problem, which is the young man's heart. He uses the Jewish context. Everyone in Jewish culture is going to know this list, the Ten Commandments, right? However, this list is not complete. Jesus leaves off a few of them, right? One of them is, you shall have no other gods before me. Another one is, you shall not covet. So he leaves off a couple of them. And then he continues with his response. He says, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. In Matthew's account of the story, Jesus says, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, side note really quick. This passage does ask, Jesus is asking the man to go sell everything, but it's not saying that every Christian needs to go sell everything that they have, okay? The focus of this passage is that our focus would be on God and that our hearts would be focused on him and that we would yield our possessions to him. But Jesus knew that this was the rich young man's problem, right? He knew that this was what he was holding back. So the young man, he wouldn't do it. He loved his wealth more than he loved Jesus. Instead of trusting God with everything, he wanted his riches. So he actually fails the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Jesus actually gives him a personal invitation. He says, come, follow me. For a personal invitation like that, that's really rare, but the rich young man, his identity was wrapped up in his money. His God was money. So the young man walks away. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I relate a lot to the rich young man. Not necessarily the super rich part. I'm, th I'm talking more about his thought process. <laughs> like the young man, I struggle with putting my identity in my performance. I'm asking, what must I do? And the way he tries to earn his salvation. So I'm also a box checker. I love lists. Anybody else likes lists, likes checking boxes? Yeah. 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take, take the heart of this conversation and I'm going to adjust it to a context that's familiar to me. I'm going to put myself into the conversation. So my question to Jesus may go something like, Jesus, what must I do to be worthy of your love? To be loved more? To know that you approve of me? Jesus, how can I earn my worth? Then Jesus, just like he did with the young man, may give me some easy boxes to check, some, some boxes that he knows that I would be able to check, right? So he might say to me, uh, Brentley, make 100 on all of your homework and tests. I'll be like, okay, check. Yeah, I do that. Uh, Brentley, stay up late and get up early to do all the schoolwork you can. I already do that. Never slow down, never rest until all your work is done. That's what I'm already doing. And one more, uh, memorize 100 digits of pi. So this list might be different for you. Maybe your boxes may say, uh, be a Clemson or Carolina fan. Eat at Chick-fil-A regularly. Yeah? Go to church a couple times a month. Maybe for you guys, those are the easy boxes for you guys to check. The whole point is Jesus knew that those other boxes, those were the easy ones for me to answer, the easy boxes for me to check. He was just working with the same framework I was already using in my perfectionism to expose my heart. Then Jesus says one more thing, just like he did to the young man. He goes, okay, Brentley, one more thing. Give me your identity. What, Jesus? You want my identity? Yeah. I want you to give me that mindset where you find your worth through performance. You know that whole thing you do where you think your worth is in how well you perform and how perfect you can be? I want you to give me that. That thing where you need to earn your love and your worth and your identity? Yeah. Hand that over to me. Give me your perfectionism. Give me your identity. Yes, this passage is about riches, but it's really about giving Jesus that thing that you're unwilling to give him. Surrendering what you're unwilling to surrender. When we're the ones who decide what boxes to check, we make the boxes the easiest ones to check. Works-based righteousness only works when we get to decide what those boxes are. But the thing is, Jesus wants everything. He wants us to fully surrender. I have an illustration for you guys. It's kind of like we're walking with Jesus in the house of our heart. And there's a bunch of rooms, and most of the doors are open. And you're just walking with Jesus, and he's kind of pointing out the doors, and he's asking you about them. So you may walk up to the first one, and he's like, oh, I see, I see this room with the open door. This, this is your hobbies. I see you like hiking. Can you give me that? Yeah, Jesus. Oh, I see this room. This is your status. Can you give me that? Yeah. I see this room, your insecurities. Could you give me that? Yeah. Oh, I see you have a whole room dedicated to your weekend. Could you give me that? What about this room over here? This is your every night after 10 p.m. Could you give me that? Eventually, you walk to the end of the hallway and there's a closed door. Jesus asks, what's in there? Oh, don't worry about it, Jesus. You're probably not concerned with that. He goes, no, no, no. What is it? What's in there? And you say, oh, I mean, it's just my relationships. It's just my boyfriend or girlfriend. But, I mean, you're probably not worried about that. And he goes, no, no, no. Can you give it to me? Maybe for you it's something else. Maybe for you you're like, okay, God, you can have my grades. I don't care about that. You can have my money. You can have my car. But don't ask about my family. Maybe that's where you find some of your identity. 
Or maybe that's one of the easier boxes for you to check. Maybe for you it's, don't ask for my sports because I have to play in college. Don't ask for that. Maybe it's your health. Don't ask about my health. I have to be healthy. Maybe it's your future. Don't ask for my future because I'm, I'm the one that's going to plan that. Whatever it is, it's that thing that you're holding higher above anything else, even Jesus. Jesus put the young man right at the crossroads. The young man calls Jesus good, so Jesus asks, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. He's basically saying, are you calling me God? He's trying to help the young man and all of us see that he is good enough to be our everything and not just our something. He's good enough to be Jesus alone and not Jesus and everything else. Because he's God. I'm so thankful that my worth and identity is found in Jesus and not in who I am or what I do because I'm not perfect. I never will be perfect here on earth. But I don't have to be because Jesus was perfect in my place. He wants us to fully surrender to him. So what's, what's holding you back from Jesus? What's that door at the end of the hall that's closed? What's that in your heart? It's going to be different for a lot of us. What is that for you? I want to close tonight by telling y'all about my senior year. Before I went back to school for my last year of college, still working through a lot of my anxiety and perfectionism, Matt challenged me to go into senior year aiming for Bs. (laughs) True story. I'm not saying that everyone has to do this. This was a thing for me. (laughs) Now, if y'all remember, I've never aimed for anything less than 100. So for him to all of a sudden ask me to aim for 80s, that was a big deal, right? But the whole idea was for me to actually live out the statement, my identity is found in Jesus and my worth is found in him. Because that's the place I struggled living that out. The whole idea was for me to spend all that time that I would have spent studying, now spending time with God, spending time with people, and taking care of myself and my mental health, right? In doing this, I would not only be giving myself grace, but also receiving God's grace and love for me without trying to earn it. Guys, I'll just tell you right now, as much as freshman year was the darkest and hardest year of my life, senior year was the best and most freeing because I finally surrendered my perfectionism and found my identity in Jesus. As I drove home from college, my car all packed up, everything moved out. I was driving home. I just remember God laying this thought on my heart. I'm so glad I didn't give up when I wanted to. Perfection created my anxieties, but grace is setting me free. I know my identity ought to be found in Jesus, but perfectionism was getting in my way. I had it in my mind that I had to be perfect to be loved, that that created my anxieties. But what I'm discovering is that grace is setting me free so that my identity can actually be found in Jesus and that my worth can actually be derived from him. Theologian Dallas Willard has a pretty well-known quote. He says, grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. I'm not up here telling you guys that excellence and doing well in school and trying is a bad thing. If you guys are making 100, I'm not trying to call you out. (laughs) What I'm saying is that it's our mindset. If you're doing that because you're trying to earn God's love, just like I was, that's not right. That's not what grace is about. 
Perfection created my anxieties, but grace is setting me free. I am fully known and fully loved. My identity is found in Jesus, and my worth is found in him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this time here with high school. Thank you for your love and for your grace. Thank you for your faithfulness in our lives, Lord. Please help us to surrender that thing that we're trying to hold back and that thing that we're unwilling to surrender. Please help us find our identity and our worth in you and in you alone. Lord, thank you for these students and thank you for your love and your grace and your faithfulness in our lives. Amen.